0: If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip your hand up, raise it, and keep it up high, and so someone could uh, get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out to you. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in understanding and knowledge of God's Word. Um, So, so far, so far, um, over the past eight weeks, we've kind of been looking at Romans chapter 12. And, And looking at Romans chapter 12 primarily in the vein of saying, what Paul says, and that is there's an ethical life that comes to being a follower of Jesus. That when we respond to the life and love of Christ, which has been given to us, that our life begins to change, that our whole life become a living sacrifice to the Lord, everything that we do. And so we begin to talk about this love and what this love looks like. And then we get to the very end of chapter 12, talking about how we are to love and engage our enemy and how we're not supposed to pay back, but let the Lord do his work. And then what Paul does in the beginning of chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, which is what we'll look at this morning, is that it seems that many people think it seems like Paul puts a parenthesis on love, pauses, because he begins to talk about our relationship with government, and then in 8 and 15, he goes back to talking about love, because they would say that there's no way you can have love and then government together, so let's separate those things. And I don't believe that's what Paul is doing. I believe what we're going to be able to see today is Paul is still in that vein of love, instructing and in shaping people, the people of God, how to live on mission for Jesus and how to love one another, how to love those who are not Christians, and then how to love in a way, in a civic way, to be, to be people that are the best citizens because they have a heavenly citizenship. Because they have a permanent dwelling to be with Jesus one day for all eternity when he comes to restore and renew all of creation. So in essence, what Paul is talking about in these first seven verses is is saying that Christians, in light of God's love, in light of the love that has been poured into our hearts, as we read about in Romans chapter 5, that we should be the best citizens wherever God has us because of what we have in Christ Jesus. So we should be the best citizens. Now, this, these, these verses are not easy verses because they begin to talk about something that, that is usually touchy in our culture, and that is the role of, of Christians in light of government and what that looks like. But uh, we'll have some fun doing it. But three things I want to be able to look at for us this morning. Uh, one, in the conversation of love is first is that love will voluntarily submit. We'll talk about that. Uh, Number two is that love does what is good, and primarily the good for others, not just yourself. And then lastly, that love shows honor and respect. So love voluntarily submits, love does what is good, and love shows honor and respect. So before we jump into the text, would you guys bow your head with me, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to bless our time as we listen to God's Word. Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus. I thank you for the opportunity to open up the scripture, and oftentimes there are moments in the scripture, Lord, that just buck up against us, and our propensities, and our proclivities, and just who we are, Lord. Talking about love and then talking about government, Lord, don't seem to go together, and, um, and the reality of it is sinners and a savior, Lord, don't usually go together, and so the gospel begins to free us and, and give us a new life to walk in love, a new life to follow Christ, a new life to live counterculture, a new life to shape us not only individually but corporately as a people as we live on mission for you. God, I pray that you would take the words um, from this Bible, the word from this text, Lord, and begin to impress it upon our hearts and our lives, that it would show itself Monday through Saturday as we live out our daily lives. God, we thank you so much for the presence of Christ in this room, for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, for the love of the Father, God. We thank you so much for those children that were dedicated, and I echo the prayer of Ryan that you would draw them to yourself, that they would be a part of your family, a part of your community because of Jesus. God, we thank you, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You guys have heard it said before, people do crazy things for love, right? When you're in love, you'll do some crazy things or some stupid things, right? You guys have all had that because many of us have been in relationships before or are in relationships now, and usually your closest, your closest friends are the ones who tell you, like, man, you're changing because of this girl. And usually say no, but the reality of it is you are changing because of that girl. Um, usually your friends don't like that. Uh, your friends just need to, to just get over it, right? Because you change for a girl because the reality of it is you don't want to be married to your boys, but um, you would definitely be married to this girl. And so, you know, your friends are like, who are you? What's your name? I don't even know you, right? You'll do whatever you can do for this girl. You'll do silly things. I've shared with you guys a story before how the first girl that I liked um, that I thought I loved, that was 10, and, and this girl... This girl was 10 as well, um, 10 and a half, and and so she had said one time how she liked the smell of cologne, and so I'm like, I gotta get some cologne, and so when I went home, I didn't have any cologne, but I had an older sister, and she had some perfume, I didn't think she'd tell the difference, so I, right? I showed up to school the next day, right? No fear shirt on, looking, (laughs) you know? And and, and (laughs) I'm, I'm sure something else bad, colored socks, the whole deal, right? And I sit down, and we're at this table together, and she goes, oh, my goodness, what does that smell? Does someone have perfume on? It's horrible. And I look at the guy next to me. I'm like, is that you? <laughs> All right. Well, you do silly things for love because you want to be in a potential relationship with somebody else. Well, here's what Paul has been saying. And here's what the whole Bible is about, that when you come to grips with the life and love of Jesus, there are things you will do that will be seemingly silly to the people around you. That when you become in a relationship with Jesus, not the potential of a relationship because there's no winning Christ. Christ wins you to himself through his life and his death. There's permanent, there's a reality, there's no potential in Christianity. There is a relationship with Jesus in which you have by faith in him for all eternity. And so you have it and in doing so the people around you and even yourself, you may look at your life and go, this seems silly. Why am I being asked to do this? But then you look at the one who's loved you and you do it because you follow him. You do it because of his love. You do it because your life has been radically changed because your life is being transformed. I mean, that, that's what the Bible is about. Is about God's long plan of redemption in which he is entering into your life by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and making us more and more like Jesus, individually as well as corporately. And when we come to the text for instruction and in response to that love, oftentimes it's, you, you want me to do that? You, you really want me to do that? And sometimes there's tension, but we lovingly follow because we love Jesus. I believe this text is like that. I believe this text is like that because of the, some of the things in which Paul is saying, and you're gonna see this, that he's talking to us to submit to government, a government that doesn't honor God, that he's calling us to do good even when maybe the government around us is not doing the good that we think that they should do. And then he shows us to show honor and respect because of the position and the authority. Like that, those are hard things to do in any society. But if we're going to really understand this text, I, I do believe that we first need to understand the historical context before we just look into this. You know what this means? This means that when you understand that Paul first wrote this letter to a group of people, he didn't write this to people who were living in America in 2014. He didn't write this to people who had President Obama as their president, right? Right? He's writing this to people in Rome. And for us to be able to understand what it means for us today, we first have to understand what it originally meant. So let me give some historical context here. I do believe Paul is talking about love. I do believe believe Paul is saying the relationship of the church is a relationship of love with those around the church, those within the church, that we exist not only for those who believe, but also for those who do not believe. That's the institution we're part of the church. And so with it, I think Paul is first talking how to shape people missionally, It means how we live for Jesus and the life in which we have, how we live vocationally, how do we live for God. This mattered to the church because they're they're asking questions like, how do we live now in Rome? How do we live in this city now that Jesus is our Lord? Do we disengage from governmental things? Do we pull away? Do we have our own little sect? And Paul says, absolutely not. Don't just love one another. Don't just love your enemy, but engage in love and the government. I I think the second part of here is Paul begins to talk about this contextually. Meaning, I do think there were issues here that we see that in Rome, there was tension between government and Jewish people. Uh, There was tension between Jewish people and Gentile people. And what Paul has done for the first 12 chapters is that he has been bringing the relationships together. He says, now in the gospel, he goes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, chapter 1. He goes, because in it is the power of the God for the Jew as well as for the Gentile. Meaning, he's bringing them together. But he says, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of this. He goes, and he goes on to say, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning in Christ you were one. That he begins to talk about this relationship. We were all um, deserving of death, but we've been justified in Christ Jesus. And so now you have this multi-ethnic, um, multi-social economic church trying to get together when, there, when there's tension between Jewish people as well as Gentile and the Jewish people as well as the government. And Paul is saying... Um, You've heard it said, Caesar is Lord, because that's what they've been hearing. But now they have, Jesus is Lord. And so what does that look like? I think Paul also writes this for the last part. It has, for eschatology. That's just a big word for end times. They believed that Jesus was coming back at any moment. Early Christians believed that. That there was a sense of urgency, and we're going to pick up that even next week when we continue to look at chapter 13. And so since Jesus was coming back, the thought would be, why am I paying taxes why am I paying taxes to Caesar? He's not even Lord. Jesus is Lord. So why should I engage? And Paul was saying, okay, wait a minute. Because he's Lord, because God is Lord, because he's the highest authority, respect the authorities that he's put in place. And then Paul writes that. There wasn't a church and state in the way that we think about church and state now. Um, there wasn't a, a Democrat and a Republican and the way we think of things now. So please hear me on this, because I've already had the question before, somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Hey, are you going to tell me who to vote for today? Never, ever, never. And I'm being dead serious. I will never tell you who to vote. That is not my role. Are there going to be Democrats and there going to be Republicans within the church? Absolutely. This text is not saying any of those things. And it was appalling to me how many commentaries and articles I read that were going, so what is, vote for the What? That's a problem, guys. Let's read what the text says, take the wisdom from the text, and then proceed with wisdom, right, and freedom in the country that we had. So let's, let's not think of our American context and read it into this. Let's think about the original context, what's happening in Rome, and then read it from the text to let it shape us. Amen? That's just good Bible reading. We're going to do that. We're going to walk through the text right now. First point is love will submit, voluntarily submit. Let's read Verse 13. In fact, let's read all of it. I'm going to read verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes from authorities, uh, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Just a reading of the word. First thing Paul says is probably one of the harder things. As chapter 13, verse 1, he starts off with saying, Love will voluntarily submit. And in fact, it's a command here. He says, Let every person be subject to governing authorities. And so that word subject is also the same word submit. And I know every time we begin to talk about that word submit, um, every, every, every woman, um, usually in the audience, is like, here, here we go again. Here we go again. right? And, and, and then the hair, uh, the, excuse me, the metaphorical hair on the back of your neck, because I know you, you don't have hair in the back of your neck, um, stands up and, and is like, here he goes again. Are you going to tell me I need to submit to my husband? I got a job. He got a job. I pay my own bills. And it's like, listen, listen, we're not even going there today. We're not even going there today. We're not. We're kind of going there today. So here's the... Here's a, here's a, <laughs> Here's the reality. That same word is the same word that we see in, in Paul's writings, that we see in Peter's writing that tells a woman to submit to her husband. That submission is not a man dominating saying, you better submit to me. That is God saying, the way in which I have it laid out, that you voluntarily, willfully submit to someone who is imperfect. There's no perfect husband, right? All right single ladies, this is just add-on. There's no perfect husband. Some of you are waiting for him. Jesus will come, and that will be it, right? back to what Paul's talking about this week, though. Um, when, we, when, when we come to the, this text, we realize we are submitting into a government system that is not perfect. We will never experience, there has never been an experience of a perfect government. Even in the Old Testament, where's it the theocracy, where God was, was the one giving all the rules, the people did not listen. The issue is not always with government. The issue is with people, because people are sinners, And so, if sinners are in position of authority, there will be sin. But Paul says, like he says to women, he says all of us, be in subject, submit. It literally means to line up under, meaning there's a greater authority. Not that it's the greatest authority, but there's an authority, and it's the government. In their language, it was Caesar, it was Rome. And you got to understand this, what it meant for them. We may look at it and go, that's not right, because we live in a democracy, so we at least get a chance to be able to vote. They didn't get a chance to vote. Caesar was Lord, and everybody that was a ruler or authority in the original context here, those rulers and authorities were equal to gods. And Paul is saying, yes, yeah, submit to them. Nero is a guy who's in charge right now. Now, at the time that Paul wrote this, he wasn't crazy. Years after this, there's a great fire in Rome. Historically, you can read about it. And Nero is the same one that began to... Um, persecute Christians. One of the ways that he did it was he would dip them in kerosene and then light them up for, for um, lighting for his parties. So Paul is saying, submit to the governing authorities. When it comes to us, we, we, our situation, believe it or not, is actually better than what it was in Rome. But it's still not easy. It's still not easy. And the same way that women, it's not easy for you to submit to your husband because he himself is imperfect, that he has flaws so the question is, that usually comes up, is, okay, should we submit to a government that is not living for God? Ricardo, what do we do when the government seems to be inconsistent with Scripture? We'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's deal with this first. Here's why Paul says we should submit, why we lovingly submit, if we love God, if we've received his love. Look at the second part of verse 1. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Here is what Paul is saying. You can hate government all you want, but realize it was God's deal. It was God's idea. Even, he's not responsible for what they do, but it was his idea. He instituted government. And the same way he instituted the church, and the same way he instituted marriage, he instituted government to be. So that it would not become what it was like in the book of Judges when you read that there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own sight. And and even though that may seem like, that'd be great for us, everybody can do what they want to do, that would be horrible. That would be chaos, right? Uh, just imagine: no street lights, no traffic signs. What? I went. I wanted to go. You wanted to go. So what? I hit you. So what? Right? That would be horrible, right? It's bad enough as it is with street lights, the way some of you drive, and the rain. Imagine if we didn't have that. What Paul is saying is here is it's not perfect by any means what we're supposed to submit. And he says because it's God's idea. He, when he throws that it's God's idea, we've got to step back a little bit. It reminds me, um, I was a younger brother, and so I was always getting bullied and stuff like that, and so I always kind of would yell for no reasons and stuff like that. I remember coming home from school, and my bunk beds had been unbunked, and then things were switched around, and I came in and I started yelling, which usually meant I was going to get more bullied, but you had to get your words in at some point. So I started yelling, like, who did this? this, is this. Who did this? And my sister was like, mama did it. I love it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, right? I was about to go off of my sister and brother. Soon as she was like, "Mama did." Oh man, this is amazing, right? Because there is, there was, there was definitely authority in our house. There was no mutual. No, no, no. It was rank and file. Whatever she said went. Like you, you, you know, you, you guys. Some of you guys grew up in families like that. When mom said something, there was no like. But it was like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Nothing, right? That was. <laughs> always getting punked by my mom. So <laughs> P- Paul is going, submit to government. We start bickering. It's God's idea. We step back. Okay, It's God's idea. We lovingly submit. So there's the command. What Paul does for the next few verses, all the way into after chapter 6, is begin to build the why, meaning begin to say, okay, why we do this. First, we just understand we're supposed to submit and, and it's instituted by God. That government is instituted by God. We'll deal with some of the questions here in just a bit. But that's the first point. That in response to love, the way we as Christians engage with government, the way we engage with the authority, the way we engage in these things is, is to be able to, uh, to, to submit, right? We said this. Love makes us do silly things. It makes us do silly things, right? So when it comes to love does good, let me tell you a story. I'll tell you the end of the story here first. I was 22 years old, um, a high school teacher, uh, which is scary to even think about that at that young of an age. And leaving the school, there was a sign in the teacher's parking lot that says, no left-hand turn. And it didn't say between certain hours, but I knew that that sign was only there for the beginning of the school when everybody was getting there and for after school when people were leaving. But it was well after school and no one was there. So that sign wasn't for me, so I thought. But that sign was for me. I no joke. Every day, would look at that sign. If I made a left, it was a residential neighborhood. It was totally fine. I wasn't going to hit anybody. No one else was around, and I would. It would take ten minutes off my commute, which I really believe God wanted because sports center started at a certain time, and he went then. It, like I was wanted to be there, but that wasn't it. And so I would look at that sign. Okay, let me back up here. Normally, that would have mattered to me. I didn't grow up with this great ideal of government. I didn't grow up with this good view that policemen were people I wanted to be around. None of that at all. And I'm not saying policemen are bad. I think policemen are great. I'm just saying my experience was I saw police come uh, arrest my father. Um, when I was 10 years old, I saw police come um, because of a law that I thought was kind of silly. In, in California, three strikes, you're out. So whatever your third strike what it is, no matter what it is, you went away for a long time. So I saw my dad go away for a very, very long time. So police to me weren't like, oh, yay, that's what I want to be. So when I got to college, I thought, you know what, I'll put that aside. You know, I'm educated now. I'm at this great institution. You know, cops are cops. Police are police. Government's government. It's all good. And I had never had any interaction with the law. Up to this point, I had never had a ticket. I mean, hear me. Up until that point, I had never had a ticket. (laughs) Things didn't change. And so so. I'm um, with a friend, we're, we're, we're at a stoplight, this car drives up to us, a bunch of drunk guys in there, and they flip us off, and speed up, and just pass us, and I'm thinking, no big deal, I'm in the passenger seat, whatever, drunk guys flip us off. My buddy doesn't like that, so he follows this car, we're, we're wrapping around, you know, like 6th Street right there, right where the stadium's at, um, right to where um, university meets where McClintock, not McClintock, but Manzanita's dorms are there, and we stop at the light, he gets out of the car, and I'm like, this, this. This is not good, right? And so he walks over to the car, um, tells the guy, knocks on the window, tells the guy to roll down the window, and the guy, like an idiot, rolls down the window. Right? What are you doing? And so my friend hits the dude in the face. I get out of the car, pull my friend off of him, is like, hey, you know, let's let's not fight, right? Peace, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Talk, right? So that's what I'm doing. And then the cops are across the street, see it put the, uh, their sirens on, come across the street, and no, no joke, I had a sling on. I just had surgery a couple weeks before this. The cops rip my sling off, handcuffed me, throw me to the ground. The guy in the passenger seat, the, the, the dumb guy that went on the window, he's yelling, no, he's not the bad guy. He's the bad guy. And he's pointing at my friend. My friend is doing this. <laughs> And I'm down there, and I'm just, I'm furious, right? I'm furious. And I'm not going to say it was because I was the only black guy there, but I was the only black guy <laughs> there. And this is my experience, right? Now, to be fair, when they got everything cleared out, they were like, hey, we apologize, we're sorry, and, you know, whatever, whatever. Like, you know, you look like, um, you know, you look, you look like you were the aggressor, which I actually took that as a compliment. Like, oh, you think? <laughs> right? <laughs> That was my experience. And from then on, honestly, from that moment, I was like, I don't trust this. However, however, when I became a Christian shortly after that, and that depositing of God's love that we talked about in Romans 5, the Holy Spirit pouring God's love, I'm telling you, you know what that love is like? It's like when you have, if you've ever, you know, when I wash dishes sometimes and I'm rinsing out a cup, If I have whatever's in that cup, whatever it's milk or whatever, the more I put the water in there, the more the milk comes to the surface. Whatever's in there comes to the surface and it begins to leave and what I'm injecting in that begins to fill that. What Paul is saying has happened that when you come to grips with Jesus, right? What matters most? Jesus, not race, not anything. Jesus matters most that when you receive that love, it begins to take whatever is inside of you and begins to transform you, that you begin to do things that people around you would go, that doesn't seem right. So not only do you lovingly submit, but what Paul is saying that. you begin to obey. So here I am as a 22-year-old young Christian looking at that sign thinking, I better obey. And as dumb as that sound, I never took a left. I wanted to every day. And somehow I began to believe that that sign was an authority of God. God said, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And I did it because God had done something in my heart to sounds simple and weird. Paul is saying when it comes to that, when you have that love, do good. Do good. Good means that you begin to obey silly little instructions like that. That you begin to view government as people whom God has allowed in order to restrain evil, which we'll talk about in just a second here. That you begin to look at the scriptures when it says obey and submit to government, even though we want to buck against it, we understand the life and love of Jesus and saying, Lord, continue the fulfillment because what is in me is not what you would like And put more of yourself in me that I may live for you. And here's what Paul begins to say here. Therefore, do what is good. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Here's what Paul is saying. This judgment that he's talking about here, it's not just you will go to jail. That's spiritual. That when you begin, if if I took that left turn, or let me just say this. Every time I take that left turn now. Every time we, let's just make it really simple. Every time we see that speeding limit, and it says a certain speed limit, and we think, we can go faster now. That's for when school's in. you know, That's when school's in. School's not in right now. Is that every time we sin against those things, we are actually sinning against God. Like, it becomes sin. He's not saying those are suggestions. He's saying whatever the law of the land is here, that's sin. Now, you're going to go, well, well, what if the law of the land is against God? Okay, we'll deal with that. Let's not not deal with the so what's yet. Let's just deal with the text first. We'll get to that. He's saying it's sin, and we are a new creation. We're not supposed to live that way anymore. There should be a change. There should be a noticeable change in the way that you relate to government. There should be a noticeable change in the way you relate to one another. There should be a noticeable change in which we relate to God, a noticeable change in which we relate to the people around us. He goes, even when it comes to the authorities. And if you don't, he says, there will be Judgment. It goes on here, it says, for the rulers are not a terror to do do good conduct, a terror for those who do good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. If you ever underline a pen or a marker, then do what is good. That love will do what is good. Not just submit, will do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. But he is a servant of God, an avenger, uh, an avenger who carries out God's wrath for the wrongdoer. And so here's what's happening here. Paul, Paul, Paul is saying, if you don't listen, if you don't do what's good, he carries the sword, which literally means this power, right? The power that is used here is delegated power. Not that government has the full power in itself. Not that the authorities have the full power in itself. It's power in which God has given them it's the same word for power that Jesus used when he's talking to uh, Pilate before he's crucified. And Pilate looks at him and says, don't you know who I am? And Jesus is like, don't you know who I am? Like you have no power other than what the power my father has given to you. It's delegated power. That delegated power is if you, if you do the crime, you pay the time. Like that, that's what he's talking about, that you should expect those things. We should not try to just get out of things that you should expect. You broke a law. And he's saying, that, that's one way that they're meant to do that. That's their role. And so when you ask what's the purpose, of go- the purpose of government, why did God institute it? God instituted government for these two purposes. If you want to boil it down, one is the restrain evil. It's a restrain evil because we are sinful people in a broken world, that we are naturally inclined by nature to not do what is right. I love the little cute babies that are up here, but all the parents know they are naturally inclined not to do what's right, and look good doing it, right? They look good doing it. You grow older, you don't look as good doing it. The, 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 the reality of it is governments, to restrain evil to protect people. And the other side of it, it's there for flourishing. It's for the good. It's for the common good. It's for, it's for societies to be able to develop. And so when Paul here says, do what is good, that love does what is good, don't hear that so narrowly defined as just obey, um, don't hear that as so narrowly defined that that just means believe in Jesus. Don't, don't hear that so narrowly defined that it's just for you and maybe your family. Hear that in talking about government. And So hear, hear it in talking about social realities. As Bible-believing people, oftentimes what we neglect are the social implications of the gospel, the social implications of God's word, that when we see good, we immediately think only morality. It is morality, but it's not just morality that turns on itself, but morality begins to care about the people that live across the street from me. Morality begins to care about the people who work with me. Morality begins to care about not only my kids but the kids down the street. So it says collectively that if Christians are to do what's good, what we are good at are as Christians we are really good at belly aching what government is not doing, what they should be doing, who they should be caring for. Um, on one side we have a group of people in this room. That are, we just need more government; they'll take care of it. We have some side that say, no 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 get them out of my pockets. Um, get a smaller government. And what and, Paul is not talking about any of those things, he's not even telling government what to do. He's telling us what to do. What 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 if we would stop for a moment and say not what should government be doing, but what should the church be doing? It is so easy for us to go. Well, government should look like this. Well, let's look at the Bible and say what the church should look like, and then give ourselves a grade. And give ourselves a grade. And what we've been given unlike most government systems and structures, is we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given a resurrected life. We've been given Jesus. We've been given the, the, eg- the exemplary life in Christ and how we ought to live. And hear me. I know, I know when we start pressing down this, people start going, you start talking about social things. We're getting away from the gospel. No, we're not. No, we're not. What we've done is we've so reduced the gospel to me and Jesus that we forgot that it was Jesus, me, and my neighbor. And so what that means is doing good in itself is doing the good that was done to me. Has God done something for us spiritually and saved our souls in Christ Jesus? Absolutely. But God has not, has not God also the author of, of, perfecter of life, the one who is the father of everything good? Has he not given us tangible things? Has he not given us means to live? Has he not given us things, right? This is not much different than a few weeks ago when we talked about hospitality, reaching into our pockets and caring for people. When it says doing what's good is us looking around and saying, It's not the government's job to do it. We're going to do it. It's not the government's job to figure out what happens with all these kids that don't have families. We're going to do it. It's not the government's job to completely fix public education. Maybe we're going to get involved in ways that we can. It's not the government's job why my kids have an opportunity to be set up for success that are far more substantial than the kids down the street. If that's the case and I have the resources and myself to do good, um, the wisdom of Scripture says then I need to do good for these kids as well. They're not my kids, but I need to do good for them. And then when, when I hear, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. The role of the church, and we'll hear this. The role of the church, when it says good here, primarily it's talking about the primary role of the church is discipleship. Discipleship, discipleship. I don't disagree with that. Jesus says, go and make disciples. However, a disciple of Jesus is one who loves God and loves his neighbor. So if I'm a disciple, a follower of Christ, and I love God and I love my neighbor, and my neighbor's thirsty, then I had best give him water if I have water. And so there's not um, evangelism over here and social justice over here, and you got to pick one or the other. No, we evangelize and disciple, and we look at social justice and social issues. We do not separate those things, that one is an implication of the other. We, we don't just do good and, and, and never tell people about Jesus, or we don't just tell people about Jesus and don't care about where they're living or where they're not living or how they're living. But comprehensively, we bring the whole gospel from The whole church to the whole city, and so if we are loved that way and we see the lengths in which Christ has gone for us, then we don't look at government as a way to go, You fix it, you do it. We look at scripture as our guiding principle and saying, It seems like we're supposed to do it, amen. Um, love will promote us to doing good, it will. And so, the question now is, But what about the government? When it's not living for God. As I said before, there's not a government that I've known that's ever lived for God. So what do we do? Is there ever a moment where we're called to disobey? Because this seems pretty absolute. Submit, do what is good, show honor. Um, what happens when the government calls us to do something disobeyed? disobey? Do we have anything in Scripture that teaches this? Well, let's look at a few characters here. Um, first, we'll look at Joseph. If you guys don't know the story of Joseph, Joseph was, uh, uh, at the time, a younger brother uh, with a bunch of other brothers. He was kind of a pesky little brother. And his brothers did to him what you should do with every younger brother, and they sold him into slavery. (laughs) He gets to Egypt, and he's in in slavery, but but he begins to rise up. And not only does he rise up, but God blesses him, he honors him, and he's in a land with Pharaoh as the ruler who does not honor God, yet Joseph himself is a man of God. And he begins to use his privilege to care for the people, the common good, not just those who love God. In fact, he was the only person that we read about in Genesis at this time in Egypt that actually loved God. It wasn't until later when his family came that he began to display um, his talents and his position to be able to care for them. And so we see him willfully submitting. And you go, know, oh, it worked out for Joseph. Well, then we, we fast forward to, to, uh, to Daniel. Daniel, do you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, which my son told me last night was actually meat is a new name, too. Um and I thought, meat rack, that's a, that's a good one. I, you know, on, 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 not in the Bible, but that, that's, a, that's a good one. So you have Daniel, Shadrach, meat rack, and Abednego, right? And while they're in Babylon, these young men were pulled away from their land, and they're in Babylon that doesn't represent God. In fact, it's a pluralistic society, much like ours. I mean, multiple gods, multiple religions. And that yet they willfully submit. But there comes a moment where you have to say this far and no further. There comes a moment where you say this far and no further. So with Daniel, they let him change his name. He, he, he said, no, I'm not going to eat this type of food, but I'll eat some other things. But when they said, Daniel, you can't pray anymore, it was like, no, 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 no. My relationship and my allegiance is first and foremost to the higher authority. You don't have authority unless it comes from God. And I'm going to pray. And, so, and, and if that means I die, then I'll die. But I'm, I'm not going to stop my, my practices as a follower of God and so he prayed, and he was thrown in the lion's den. Now, God rescued him, but here's the fact, guys. God's not always rescuing people from lion's dens. We, we happen to live in a particular country at a particular time where there's not a whole lot of persecution, definitely not to death. Some of you in this room who have left your, left your Islamic faith, it's harder for you than it is for us. Some of you who have left your Mormon faith, it's harder for you socially than it is for us, most of us. Most of us get saved, we were kind of raised in church and we got, became Christians, or we were kind of atheists or agnostic, we became Christians, but we didn't have a, a particular structure where, where we were metaphorically saved from lion's dens. There are plenty of people and Christians around the country, brothers and sisters of ours, and whom we are not connected with by blood, but are spiritually, that are not being rescued, but they're saying this far and no fur- further, not if I die, but when I die, for the sake of God. That's conviction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the same situation. They're gonna they're they're gonna do everything they could. They're gonna worship God. But then it says, you know what? You can't worship God anymore. In fact, you're supposed to worship this thing created. And they said, no no no. We are good Jewish people. We follow God. There's no way we're gonna worship something created. Where are you gonna be throwing the fire? Throw us. And God rescued them. Guys, you gotta realize this. Our day is coming. I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime, but our day's coming, and it's going to come in different ways. Then when you begin to say, I believe this in Scripture, and this is the way I ought to live, there will be laws, there will be laws in our lifetime at some point. Probably not to the death, but definitely to disadvantages. Vocationally, economically, disadvantages. And I'm not just talking taxes. Disadvantages for saying you stand up for what you believe. And I'm not just talking about marriage. More than that, there will, there will come a day, I believe, all these parents who sit up here with these young kids, and mo- most of us have young kids or will have young kids, that at some moment, I believe in our life that there will be governing rules and laws that say you cannot parent your kids the way the Bible's telling you to parent kids. You cannot tell your kids that there's only one way for salvation and Jesus is the only way. That's not politically correct. It's coming. I'm not saying pull your kids out of school, bring them to my house, don't bring them to my house. Um <laughs> I'm just saying it's coming. When do we say this far and no further? Well, let's look at Esther, right? We got, there's some women in the Old Testament that were, you know, they were about it too. So you have Esther, and you have this story of Esther, which is a beautiful, beautiful story. And Esther is now married to the king. However, you can't just go and talk to the king as the king's wife. Weird, I know. I'm not saying it should be that way. I'm just saying that's the way it was. If you did, you could be killed. That was the law. That was the law. That's the law. The governing authority said that. Well, she's talking to her uncle Mordecai, and Mordecai's just like, man, you're the only one that can save us because they're about to kill us. And then she says on her own, okay, I will. And what does she say? I hope, no, no, no. She says, if I perish, I perish. Meaning if I die, I die. It's worth it because she was thinking of the greater good of people. You see it in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where Peter is going around evangelizing. The apostles are telling people about Jesus. And the the, the authorities say, stop doing it. They throw them in the prison. Like, listen, you can throw us in prison all you want. We are not going to stop telling people about Jesus like many people in our world right now. That they are finding creative ways to get the Scripture in people's hand. And we are seeing God blessed by the Holy Spirit because of their conviction to God. They're not willfully just saying we hate government. They're saying, no, no, no. When it comes to what God has commanded And you forbid it, we're going to do it. If you forbid something that God commanded, we're going to do it. We're going to do whatever God tells us to do, and we're not going to do what God tells us not to do because of conviction. So Peter says, we're going to keep telling people about Jesus because we're going to obey God first. And so when it comes to when do we disobey, when it is direct defiance to Scripture, when God's called us to do something, we got to do it. If God's called us to speak truth about something, you got to speak truth on it. you got to speak truth. We do have objective truth, and we do believe in objective truth, namely in Jesus Christ and the life that he's given us to live. Now, when it comes to civil disobedience, that's where we all want to get to really quick. Civil disobedience is good. It's just not always the right time. I Meaning everything can't be a civil disobedience. One of the best examples of it happening well was the civil rights movement in our own country where there was a nonviolent movement that we began to re- get things revoked, that many Christians did that. But not everything is that. In fact, the reason why I would not, civil disobedience just should be the last option. Doing good, as the scripture said, should be the best option. The best option. And hear hear me on this. It cannot be a political battle. Hear me on this, guys. Please, please hear me on this. And I'm okay if I get emails. The political thing is good. Good that you engage in politics. It is amazing that you vote. It is amazing that many of you take government jobs and that you seek to be an office. It is, a, it is a, all of life truly is all for Jesus. But that is not what will redeem this world. That we, we, we get in the way of ourselves when certain times of the year, namely now, is when we begin to engage these things and we begin to divide. There are people in this room that are on different sides of the parties. right? I'm not saying that's bad. In fact, I, I like, listen, when I grew up, just, just off the cuff, when I grew up, I grew up around a bunch of Christians. Everybody was a Democrat. Everybody. Um, I didn't know that there were Christians that were Republicans until I moved to Arizona, right? And then I got to Arizona, and then I was told, there's nobody who's a Christian that's a Democrat. And I, all, all I'm saying is, that, that's not what this verse is talking about, guys. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about a life for Jesus. Jesus didn't come in riding on animals. Jesus didn't come in um, coming here to take sides. Jesus Christ, came with, Jesus Christ came to take over as rule and authority, and our authority is to submit to him. Amen? And the love that we have with him, no matter what political parties you find yourself in, First and foremost starts with him because he's the only hope. He's the only redeemer. He's the only one who will and promises to restore things with equity, with joy and beauty and flourishing and wipe away every tear from our eye. Every single governing authority is temporary until he comes and fully restores what is right and good and true justice and true holiness and true righteousness in Jesus. And so not only do we, do we willfully submit and voluntarily submit, we do what is good. And the last thing here is Paul's so what? And I love this. Paul's so what? so clear, so simple, as in verse 7. He goes, all right, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So pay your taxes, um, pay your bills, and those who are and your officials, those who are your policemen, those who are in those, those roles, just respect them and show them honor. Quit complaining and belly aching. Quit sending emails out. Right? It would be good for us to just pull away from a news station here and there and not be discipled so much about what's being said on the news as opposed to being <laughs> discipled by good news. And quit trying to say that those things are tethered. They're not. One supersedes by far the other. One is one through blood, not through voting. One is through death to give Life. One is completely taking all types of people, no matter what their social economic background is, no matter what their upbringing is, no matter what country they were born in or not born in. One is completely fixated on the name and fame and the work of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we have to start there and never leave there. Never leave there. So Paul says, if you're living that way, if you're following that Jesus, okay, then show honor to them. So here's, here's a so what. I didn't do this in the first hour. Here's a so what, a practical thing you can do. Paul says we should pray for our, our officials and our governors and all those things. How about you go to whatever city you live in? If you live in Tempe, go to the, the Tempe, uh, go to the Tempe something, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, .edu or something, right? And and then email 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 uh, Mark Mitchell, who's our mayor. And just say, hey, you know what? I, I love Jesus, and Jesus tells me to pray for you. I'm just praying for you. Email, just email as many people as you can, and just email, and, and then not just do that. Actually, pray for them. You don't have to say you like them. Don't lie. Um, if you if you don't like them, that's fine. You don't. It doesn't say to like them. It just says pray for them. Just pray for them. Find yourself when you find yourself belly aching at government. Wait a minute. Let me submit and pray and ask that God would bring about the change that is needed for this country, right? Paul Paul says, do this. And, and, and the, the last thing that Paul says here, that how we do it uniquely as Christians, if you go back to verse 5, um, it says this. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of his conscience. What makes this uniquely Christian is not just by being good citizens. You don't need Jesus for that. Um, paying your taxes, you don't need Jesus to pay your taxes. A lot of people don't, that don't love Jesus that pay their taxes, and we're thankful for it. You don't need to to love Jesus to give on. Here's the unique thing here of how the gospel shapes you. He says, don't just do this to avoid God's wrath. He goes, that would just be selfish. You're still thinking about yourself. He says, do it for your conscience. Conscience means this. As Christians, though we're redeemed, our conscience needs to be shaped. In fact, it goes very back to the way Paul started off this whole section in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, and he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, how you were saved, why you were saved, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And here it is. Do not be conformed with this world. Everybody in the world complains. Everybody in the world pushes back. Does everybody in the world willingly, voluntarily submit to do what's good and show honor? Be conformed, not to this world, but be transformed, he says this, by the renewing of your mind. Then you may, by testing, may discern what is the will of God and what is the good and acceptable and perfect. The conscience in itself is something that has been transformed by the gospel. And the only thing that motivates us as a countercultural people is not by digging deep, is not by just being good citizens. We become good citizens because our conscience is constantly being shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the one by his Holy Spirit is guiding and leading us. Amen. Let's pray.